Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information, and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax. It's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark here. Welcome, everybody, and a special hello to our new subscribers. We've had a few lately, Mark, believe it or not, and it is episode 149, Friday, August the 14th, two thousand. And COVID. So how have you been, Mark? Great, Brendan. We've been great here in Newcastle. It's uh, It seems unlike down there in Victoria where things are, are expanding at a rate of knots. Um, up here we've, um, we've, we've, we've just been tickling along. We've got a few new cases but nothing excessive. So corona's not been a big worry for us. Well, we've as we've spoken about it a few times in the most recent podcast mark we've been fairly busy as usual and um, lots of new clients and yeah like you I'm, I'm you, you've planted a seed mark I'm, I'm now starting to think when is it all going to fall in a heap and um, not have any clients coming through or patients coming through the door so but so far so good and um, yeah who knows how the whole process works mark mark and what why veterinarians are so busy because are people at home, have they got more of that disposable income that you spoke about um, or is it something completely different? Who knows? Um, but if you go to vetgurus.com, <laughs> you can look at some podcasts and download some previous ones of the 148 other podcasts. Maybe start at episode one. I had somebody the other day um, say, I'm going to start at episode one, and I thought, gee, you've got a bit of catching up to do, but that's good. It's good to have somebody who is keen, Mark. And um, and in this time start- of, of lots of anxiety, it's nice to know someone's going to be getting a decent night's sleep on a regular basis. <laughs> that's right. And I did mention to them, I said, I, I don't know whether you notice much improvement between episode one and 148 as far as our um, skills um, and podcasts. <laughs> Perhaps there's been a slight improvement, Mark, and we just haven't noticed it because it's been a slow transition there. So, yes, yeah, so all's good here. Um, some interesting cases. Um, I saw a really um, a good case with a lizard, Mark, that um, you'd enjoy. I'm, I forget the species off the top of my head, one of the little miniature little um, lizards. It was only about nine grams on the reway, and it had a massively swollen elbow um, about four four weeks ago. Um, didn't end up taking bloods because of the size of the patient, but we took some radiographs and it was a horribly lytic joint with severe soft tissue swelling around there and it was in with a, a cage mate and um, I was very suspicious of a of a wound and a, and a um, result in osteomyelitis in it. But the good news is three weeks down the track with antibiosis and pain relief for the first week or so, it's um, dramatically improved proved and very feisty eating well and most of the swelling's gone down i did chat to them about partial leg amputation um and we will do repeat radiographs in another week or two but it's um it's good to have a success case isn't it um and touch wood it will continue to 
improve, Mark, but um, it's good to have something go right for once, isn't it? <laughs> um, it's interesting uh, that um, I've, I've had a similar sort of case, Brendan, a bearded dragon that um, that just initially had very mild signs of lameness that persisted and um, and similar to you, we took radiographs, horrible explosive lytic lesion, um, contemplated amputation, contemplated euthanasia on, on quality of life grounds, and, um, and eventually we, as you, have... Uh, were aggressive with analgesia and um, uh, antibiotics, and um, and same deal. Uh, relatively pronounced improvement in a short time. I've got no doubt that um, that we will have to do like you and consider maybe a partial amputation in the future. But um, but it's just a testament to how tough these lizards really are. Yes, it's um, it's pretty amazing, and yep. Yeah, I can hear you making dinner there um, at the moment, Mark. Is it or is it? Uh, it's Kate. Something? Kate's putting some logs with firewood on the on our our uh, fire. Ah, it is quite chilly down here, and I expect it is up in your region there. And hello to Kate, and um, just let her know that um, we captured all of that on the audio. <laughs> Hi, Hi, Kate. How are you? <laughs> ah. Okay, so you you are going to jump into. Quite an interesting story about painting cows. I want this job, Brendan. I want yes. this job. Um, and it pertains to, it's a um, an article which pertains to a story we've talked about before, um, which is um, uh, why do zebras have stripes? And traditionally the answer's been um, that, uh, you know, in the grasslands where there's lots of up and down lines, the stripes... Um, uh, provide a, a, a camouflage, a, a break up the outlines and mean that predators can't see them. I've always struggled with that explanation because bloody hell, they stand out even more, I reckon, with their bright black and white lines. And recently it's been discovered that um, uh, several studies have suggested that the actual reason is that um, it limits the um, attack of biting flies um, and... Uh, so the, in this experiment, some researchers have uh, taken a good deal of time to uh, very, very well, uh, in, in very fine format, grab some cattle and paint them with waterborne lacquers in black and white. These waterborne lacquers, unfortunately for the cattle uh, that are troubled by flies, fade in only a few days. But, um, geez, they've... <laughs> They've created a new breed, I reckon, Brendan, um, and the, they will attach the, the uh, photos to uh, – we'll put the photos on our website, the link to the uh, article. Um, but then what they did was, um, was actually compare uh, painted cattle with unpainted cattle, and, um, and they reckon that the stripes lowered the incidence of biting flies – um, by, uh, where's the number here? 50%, I think, Brendan. Uh, yes. And, and uh, biting flies, I'll just read from the discussion here, the most damaging arthropod pest of cattle worthwhile, uh, worldwide and the economic impact of such flies in the United States cattle production industry alone was estimated at $2,211 million per year. So a 50% decrease, um, that's going to make a very, very profound difference 
um, financially and hopefully to the quality of the animals. Um, so maybe we will see uh, actual farming practice of painting cattle at particularly vulnerable times of the year. I don't know, Brendan, will you take that job, yeah. cattle painter? It looks like it, it takes five minutes per cow and they repeated the painting every morning there, Mark, um, in the description of the of the um, methods there. And this was this was reported as a paper, wasn't it, in PLOS One, so it wasn't a, an obscure journal. Um, yeah, so belted galloways have something going for them, don't they, with some of these um, animals that um, already have variations of, um, well, like stripes with it. But, yeah, it's... Um, it's bizarre, but um, I think they need to do a few more studies, don't they, Mark? Um, we need to expand it to other species. <laughs> do you telling me that you've been bitten by flies quite a lot when you've been walking in the bush? And yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And as long as you're not well, perhaps um, Collingwood supporters um, have something going for them, Mark. Um, and that's a that's a um, a little dig for us Australian AFL um, supporters. Um, yeah, so I reckon they should try it on horses, um, other large um, beasts, Mark, um, and see if the same thing occurs, don't you? I've got a vision of sort of like a little station, like a car wash place, and, um, you know, the... the uh, the cow or horse wanders in one end, gets a good scrub and robot. Yes, yes. Well, well, that um, that study was done in Japan, wasn't it? So I'm sure they haven't, they don't have any lack of um, that sort of robotic ex- expertise there. So perhaps that's the follow up paper that they will have there. Yes, very interesting article, and um, it is a bit bizarre, isn't it? And but the pictures are. Slightly unnerving. Quite interesting. And, and the way they count, the, one of the, what, what did they do? They took photographs, didn't they, of the, of the, um, of the cows that were painted and not painted, and they zoomed in on the photos and they counted how many biting flies were on um, per square centimetre or whatever of cow, and that's how they worked out whether or not it had an effect, um, which it was pretty dramatic, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes, we'll have to keep watch on that one, Mark. We will. Um, we'll have to follow those um, researchers. They're um, they're they're in for an ignoble prize, perhaps mm-hmm. um, this this year. My first news article, Mark, is about death. It's about a million mink have been culled in the Netherlands and Spain amid COVID nineteen fur farming havoc, according to the headline from the Guardian. And it's about um, seven farm workers and 87% of the mink tested positive. Um, Spanish officials suspect an infected worker passed, a, passed coronavirus to the mink, but the agriculture minister said it was not clear, but they decided to kill them all anyway, didn't they? Um, Spain has ordered the culling of near, nearly 100,000 mink on a farm and an estimated 1 million mink have already been culled on a Dutch fur farm as well as the coronavirus wreaks havoc in the European fur farming industry. I found this a little bit disturbing, this one, Mark. Do you think they're going a bit over the top um, with this cull? I, I, it's a really hard question to answer, Brendan, because um, I know the anxiety that the presence of the virus, you know, causes, and so to have um, a significant number of animals that are carrying it, even though it hasn't been established that it can be transferred from those animals to humans, um, and the nature of transfer, and you know, um, uh, maybe even 
um, potentiation that the passage of the virus through a novel species might lead to um, an even more dangerous circumstance. So I understand why people are nervous, um, but, geez, it's a, it's an awful lot of, um, of animals to... Uh, to um, be breathing the carbon monoxide. It's always tricky. It's like the the avian um, influenza. Avian, yes, yes. Um, and looking at some of the stats, I mean, it was a bit of a loaded question I was thrown at you there. Um, a string of tests, which on thirteenth of July showed that eighty seven percent of the mink were infected um, in the, in the Spanish outbreak, and they decided to cull to avoid the risk of human transmission. And um, I think they had uh, how many of the workers there? They seven, did they say? Um, were were affected? Um, had been affected there? Um, yeah. So twenty five Dutch fur farms um, were affected. Well, um, and they sort of had a good little um, conclusion to the article there, and talking about the um, the decrease um, with the use of, of fur and um, major fashion brands going fur-free, mm. including Prada and Jean-Paul Gaultier, um, who went fur-free fur in 2018. Um, so um, perhaps we should be concentrating on, on um, phasing out this particular industry, Mark. Well, it's quite possible you would think that, that events like this would trigger that reaction from a, a, you know, a volatile, anxious marketplace, just the fact that, um, that, uh, that people, you know, they might not necessarily be able to catch it from a highly processed and, uh, um, and, uh, um, refined fur coat, but, um, it's enough to and they won't catch it from a highly processed bit of plastic. Will they? <laughs> perhaps, perhaps not. What's your second news story? So my second story, Brendan, is um, no surprise, it's about birds. And it's about um, the North American uh, white-throated sparrow. Now, sparrow is one of my favourite birds. They are all over the place in our driveway and at work. We had a little bit of a loss for a while here with them. They died off a little bit, but... Um, they're surging now, and um, and certainly this is an interesting story about the species from overseas. Um, the traditional song of the white-throated sparrow has changed, Brendan. It has now become a um, a different tune, and this is a, a bit of a unique uh, finding because the findings that the the song has changed over the last few years, um, flies in the face of the previous hypotheses that um, birdsong dialects don't change much um, within local regions. Um, and so what's happened here is that um, the uh, original song um, was identified uh, in at the, the, um, the western part of the range um, in Canada um, in 2005 and where one out of 76 males sang the song with a doublet ending note. Um, but in 2014, nine years later, 22% of the males sang the new songs. Um, and by 2017, nearly half the 92 males recorded had adopted the variation. Um, 
And uh, researchers confirmed that the double-noted ending began to spread across the country through um, all of North America, as far east as Quebec and Vermont. Um, and so, um, and this is another citizen science thing, that many of these changes were recorded, uh, were noted via recordings uh done by citizen scientists um so yeah it's a it's a, a really interesting thing that um not only um is this like sort of like cultural change that the the um the, the traditional song that the birds sing has has developed um to a new a new pattern um but that that spreads across the country um and it's interesting to contemplate why that might be does the does being different does a new song enhance the you know the male drive the main driver for change in in song is the um reproductive success and so do the females have some form of preference for novel songs and pay attention to the males that have a a slightly different note it'd be interesting to know brendan what song do you go by mark <laughs> My singing's long, singing day <laughs> long since passed, Brendan. We'll link to that particular article and you can play the, well, they have two different types of tunes there, don't they? They have the traditional one there and then they have the variation that's spread across North America. Um, don't play it. A, my tip for everyone is don't play it while you're recording your podcasts. Yes, and it has um, a fairly, um, it's Quite ear-piercing, isn't it, um, if you don't um, have the sound down. So be very careful. Um, and that particular article was published in Current Biology and um, well done, Ken Otter, um, for producing that, an avian behavioural ecologist. Do you know any avian behavioural ecologist, Mark, apart from Ken? I do know a few, Brendan. I do know a few avian behavioural ecologists. How did I know you were going to say yes to that, Mark? How did I know? Well, my last news article, Mark, is about a compound unlike any other, and this one was um, a bit close to my heart as far as the research and, and potentially solving a, a very frustrating um, disease process or problem, and it's about a compound discovered in the gills of wood-eating clams, Mark. <laughs> Shipworms. And you've got to be very careful how many drinks you've had before you um, talk about shipworms, Mark. Um, the compound is tartrolin E, which is a byproduct of bacteria that helps shipworms, which are a group of saltwater clams, digest the wood they eat. And it was reported in PLOS Pathogens, a very well-respected journal, and it's been proven to kill parasites, apicomplexia um, parasites, Mark. So the reason why I really um, found this article of interest is when they started talking about an, a more effective remedy is required for cryptosporidium. And as you know, Mark, um, way back in the day when I was uh, working as a zoo veterinarian, um, I was doing some studies on cryptosporidiosis in uh, snakes and um you know, we're still struggling to find cures for cryptosporidium um, in all sorts of species, aren't we, let alone the reptiles there. So um, the thought is that this particular compound is very adept at killing this class of parasites, um, or at least in vitro, Mark, um, and beginning this summer, which I presume is this summer in in um, 
the Northern Hemisphere, which is now, they're planning to test the compound against cryptosporidium in lambs, Mark. Um, so I'm hoping that this will be a um, one of those sort of magic compounds that's discovered from nature um, that can end up um, having wide-ranging effect, and hopefully we've got something that can hit cryptosporidium, Mark. That's amazing, and, and uh, that whole class of... Um uh, wood shipworms, saltwater clams. <laughs> um, there, there's some of them that shipworms are the most apparent example, but there's some that uh, that are quite sizable that live in the roots of the mangroves in in you know in in Southeast Asia, and they're they're bloody big things. They're not like microscopic by any stretch. Yes, yes. So it was. Oh, I love these sorts of. Um, these sorts of studies, Mark. How did they come across that? And how did they decide that? Yeah, it's effective against. Um, I know we, we, who who I thought just, to test it against crypto. Yeah, that's right. Um, who knows, Mark? But um, as we always say, or as I always say, there's a lot. There's a hell of a lot of smarter people than me out there. That's <laughs> for sure. So that's my last news story, Mark. And, and um, I think we're going to. Um, finish this podcast now and for um listeners who listen very carefully they may have noticed it was a little cut and paste in this episode because we lost our audio halfway through um so we've had to do a bit of repairing to put this together and um yeah it's something that um I don't like doing, but um, we do it for our <laughs> listeners, Mark. And uh, it's, I reckon it's pretty unique amongst the podcasts that I listen to are often heavily edited with sections, you know, taken from all over the place. And I'm really quite proud, Brendan, that um, by and large, this is a um, one take. You get what what we say. By and large, um, it's uh, there. There aren't a lot of edits. Thank goodness, because I don't want to make you have. Ages mucking around with um, editing. Yes, we're we're pretty raw, aren't we? We're just t- take us as, as we are. So thanks for listening, and um, we will hopefully talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website, vetgurus.com, where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time. Thanks.